What's up, church? We're glad to be here this morning. Um, just want to say next week, we're starting a brand new series called Everyone on Three. And this is probably going to be the most important series that we do all year. And so just want to uh, remind you guys or tell you guys, hey, if you call Grace Your Church home, you really need to be here next week and the three weeks after that. So four weeks in a row. All right? And I know some of you guys are like, I don't know about four weeks going to church, you know, in a row. I don't know. Be here for it. Uh, next week, we are going to start unveiling our plan, really our three-year plan of where we feel like God is going to take our church in the next three years. And we're going to be talking about some things that we as a church family and as a team uh, need to get done. And so make sure you're here next week for that. Um, along with that is, uh, is the big event here tonight. And uh, actually, it's not here. It's at the Tiffin, Tiffin University, the Heminger Center. Or if you're cool, cool college kid, you call it the Hem. Yeah, they gave me the nod. Okay. All right. At the hem tonight, it's going to be awesome. Um, our, our thinking behind it is this. We're starting a three-year kind of journey together as a church family where we have a lot to accomplish and it's going to take a lot of work, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, and a lot of sacrifice to get some things done that we need to get done here at our church to reach our, not just really Tiffin, but really our entire county, Seneca County. And uh, before we start that journey together, we decided, hey, let's get everybody together, let's just have some fun, and let's just hang out with each other. So that's what we're doing tonight, and really, I view this journey starting tonight at the big event, and so um, that's kind of how it all came about and how it's tied together. And so make sure you're there tonight, it should be fun. We got stuff for kids to do, we also got stuff for adults to do, and it should at least, even if you don't want to do anything, you just want to stand around, at least you'll probably laugh, Okay. Nothing wrong with that. So make sure you're there tonight. It should be fun and it should be interesting. Uh, before we start talking about our, really, the future of our church next week, we got to wrap up the story in Esther, okay? Um, how many of you guys have been enjoying um, Esther or at least the, the story? Yeah. Okay, it's, it's pretty good. Um, it's, a, it's one of my favorite stories from the Old Testament and it's, uh, there's a lot of twists and a lot of turns. Uh, I know that, um, that some of you guys, you haven't been here every week, and so I don't want you to feel lost. So I'm going to try to recap the last four weeks within a few minutes. We'll see how good of a job I do, especially last week with, uh, with snow and stuff. Um, but, uh, but we'll try to recap that. We also know that there's people here, this might be your first time. Um, there's probably people in here that this is your first time. And so um, I'll try to get through that. But just to kind of simplify everything... Uh, Esther is a, is a story, it's a true story, it's a real story. It actually happened about a young Jewish orphan girl that lived 2,500 years ago in the middle of the Persian Empire, okay? So that's kind of the setting, that's what takes place. Um, so we got some kind of major characters throughout the story, throughout the book. Uh, the first one is Esther, and uh, if I had to put kind of a face to her, uh, I would... Put, I would say she's probably very similar to Wonder Woman, okay? This is Gal Gadot. Uh, she is a Jewish actor, and she's young, and she's easy on the eyes, okay? Very Esther-like, right? And so I would say um, Esther, if you want to picture her throughout the story just to make it easy for you, here she is. Uh, she's got a lot going on. She doesn't have any powers, but she does a lot of good stuff. Um, Esther did not have an easy life. Uh, she, her mom has died. Her dad has died. She's living in a foreign land. She's actually being raised by her older cousin, who's like a generation older than her, named uh, Mordecai. Mordecai happens to be an, an official 
for the king of Persia. Now Mordecai, even though he's a cousin to Esther, um, they're not at all the same age. He's a lot older than her. He's really like an uncle figure. And so in my opinion, probably the most iconic uncle figure uh, here in America, at least when I grew up, is Uncle Jesse, okay? So here's Mordecai. Yeah, you know it. All right, here's Mordecai. He's a good guy. He took Esther in. He didn't have to. He did that. And, um, and again, he's an official to the king. And we see throughout the story that by the providence of God, Esther gets picked as queen of the Persian Empire. She marries King Xerxes, who's another um, character in our story. King Xerxes, uh, he, uh, if I had to put a face on him, I would say he'd be very much like Dwayne Johnson, <laughs> The Rock, also known as Scorpion King. Okay, here we go. And I don't know why he's smiling there, but he, I think he is. Maybe he's uh, eating something. I don't know. But uh, so here's King Xerxes, and he's kind of an idiot, all right? He, doesn't, he does some things where you're just like, what are you doing? Or maybe he's too trusting. I don't know. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we were introduced to a fourth major character, and this guy's name is Haman. Now, Haman, not a good guy. Every story needs their villain. That's Haman in the story. Uh, Haman is... Um, he's second in command, and if I had to put a face on Haman, it would definitely be Jafar, okay? <laughs> Haman, think about it, right? Haman's second in command. Jafar's second in command. Haman's all about himself. Jafar's all about himself. I don't know if Haman had a pet Yago or what, but, uh, but I don't know. But uh, that's Haman. So you can kind of picture what these people may have looked like, just throwing it out there. Maybe not. I don't know. Well, Haman, he got a promotion, Remember? And uh, he ended up becoming the second most important person in the land. He kind of ran the kingdom for King Xerxes uh, of the Persian Empire. And at this point, the Persian Empire, remember, is the largest empire on earth. Actually, at this point in history, human history, it's the largest empire that the world had ever seen, where 44% of the earth's population lives within the Persian Empire. So this, uh, this guy's large and in charge. And when he gets promoted, the king signs a law that everybody has to bow down to Haman when he walks by. And so everybody does, except for one guy, Uncle Jesse. Okay, Mordecai refuses to bow down. He will not bow down to Haman. And when Haman notices this, he, this just makes him so mad. And so he decides to have Mordecai executed. Remember, this is the pride that's within him. But not just Mordecai, he decides he's going to execute all of Mordecai's people. So he's going to execute all the Jews in the entire empire, which may have almost been all the Jews in the world at this point. And, um, and so Haman, this is kind of Haman's plan. So he goes to the king Xerxes and he says, hey, uh, king, you know, I know you trust me. Thanks for that promotion. That's awesome. Really appreciate that. But uh, there's, a, there's a group of people in the empire that they don't obey Persian law. They kind of have their own laws. They do their own thing. It's kind of messed up. And so it's really probably better for the kingdom that uh, we just eliminate all these people. And so the king Xerxes, he's sitting there on his throne. He's like, you know what? That makes sense, I guess. Like, they don't obey my laws. They shouldn't decide, They shouldn't be able to live. And so he says, hey, Haman, here's the deal. Here's my ring uh, that makes the laws or stamps it or whatever. He says, you just go ahead. You write whatever law you think is best. I trust you. Do whatever you want. Okay, you're free. You're free to go. And so Haman's like, sweet. He takes that ring and he goes and he writes a law that on a certain day, it's actually almost 11 months later, he, he says that everyone in the empire, by law, they are to attack any Jewish people that they know or that they see, okay? That's the law. And he even writes in the law. He says, hey, this applies to the young and the old. This applies to the men and the women and children. 
Everybody. And in return, if you kill a Jewish person, you get to keep all their stuff. Okay, so that's the law. That's what happens. And so when the Jewish people hear about this law, they rightfully are terrified. They don't know what's going to happen. They're just like, why is this happening to us? And they freak out. And Mordecai is one of those. He freaks out. Remember what he did? We talked about this last week. He puts on a bunch of animal skins, which was normal back then, not today. And he goes throughout the middle of the city, the capital city of Susa. That's where all this takes place. And he starts wailing and crying and yelling. Well, it doesn't take long that uh, a servant comes to Esther and says, hey, uh, Esther, your cousin, he's out there like going crazy. If I want to do something about that, it's kind of embarrassing. And so Esther they, and Mordecai, they have this conversation through a servant back and forth. And basically Esther, she first, remember, she does the, the typical, you know, she does the, the girl move where she, you know, here's, here's a new outfit. And, Haman, or, and Mordecai's like, no, thanks. Don't need that. And then um, Mordecai tells her, he says, hey, you need to go to the king. All right, you need, to, you need to take care of this. You need to go to the king. You need to ask him for his help. And remember how Esther replies. She's like, no way. I can't do that. You know the law, Mordecai. If I go to the king without being invited to go to the king, he, I get executed. That is the law. That's the right thing that would happen to me. And so she's like, I can't do it. This is not the way. There's got to be another way. And so Mordecai, that's when he says, and this is where we were kind of focused last week. He says, hey, here's the deal. You think you're safe in your palace. You're not. You think you're all good? You want to play life safe? He's like, it doesn't matter. You, you can't be safe. You're not going to be safe from this. He says, has it ever occurred to you that, you know, maybe, just maybe, God has orchestrated your life for like this moment? You ever think about that? You know, you say, connect the dots, Esther. And when Esther hears this reply, she's like, okay. She says, okay, I'll go. I'll do it. And remember, she says, and if I die... I die. But then she says, hey, I got one thing for you, Mordecai. I want you to pray for me for the next three days. And I want you to gather all the Jewish people. I want you guys all to pray. And, um, and I'm going to pray. And we'll see if God helps us out through this thing. And so uh, after three days, she goes in before King Xerxes, which, again, was against the law. She's so, she's, she is uh, supposed to get executed for this. And when, king, when the King Xerxes see her, sees her, um, he is actually delighted to see her. Remember, he reaches out his golden scepter, which is sweet. I need to get one of those. Uh, he reaches out his golden scepter, and she's allowed to come in, and she touches it, and everything's all good, so she's not going to be executed. And, uh, but she doesn't ask. You would think this would be the perfect opportunity to be like, hey, here's the deal. This is what happened. Your friend Haman, he did this, and now I'm going to die. And so what are you going to do? Uh, you need to help me out. But she doesn't. She invites him to dinner. And she says, hey, bring Haman along with you. That's where we left off last week, okay? That was all it. Good? Get it? Okay. I'm going to go fast here for the rest of the time. So you ready? There's a lot to cover. We good? Okay. All right. So Haman and King Xerxes show up at Esther's place, and this is what happens. Esther chapter 5. He says, while drinking the wine, the king asks Esther, he says, hey, whatever you ask will be given to you. Whatever you want, even to half the kingdom will be done. He's like, hey, um, Esther, what's going on? What's this about? You know, what's troubling you? And so Esther answers. She says, this is my petition and this is my request. Now, she's probably getting a little nervous here. She doesn't know what to happen. She doesn't know how this is going to end. Like, you know, usually you don't go to the king and say, hey, you don't know how to run your country. Hey, that was a stupid law you signed, you know. A few days ago, hey, you know, it's not usually a good thing. And so she's, she's probably a little nervous. She says, hey, if I have found favor in the eyes of the king, 
and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and perform my request, maybe she stops there for a second. She says, uh, how do I explain this? And then she says, uh, may, king, may the king and Haman come to the banquet. I will prepare for them. And tomorrow I will do what the king has asked. So here's an opportunity for her to ask the king, saying, I will give you up to half the kingdom, whatever it is. I'll help you out. And she still doesn't ask. Now, there's a couple reasons for this. Maybe the scholars kind of debate over. We don't know why she doesn't ask. Like, maybe she chickens out. I think that's a, a reasonable reason. Um, think about it. She does not know how this thing's going to go. Again, telling the king that he doesn't know how to run his own kingdom, probably not a great thing. Um, and so she, maybe she chickens out, and she's like, ah, we kind of push things off until another day. Or maybe she knows that this is the best way to influence the king, through food, right? It's the easiest way to, to a man's heart is by feeding him. You keep feeding him, things are going to go well. So maybe that's what she's thinking. I don't know why. I don't know what the deal. And so the king, what the deal is, the king says, okay. Maybe he kind of smiles a little bit because he knows something's going on here. Something's up. And he says, okay, we'll be back tomorrow. And the next verse says, that day, Haman left full of joy and good, in good spirits. Remember, Haman's there too. And he is pumped. Like Haman's just, he's just walking around. He's walking home that night. He's feeling, he's feeling really good. I mean, he's got this huge promotion. He's got people honoring him. Probably as he's walking, people are bowing down, putting their face in the dirt. He's rich. He's powerful. He's in the inner circle now, not just with the king, but also now the queen. And uh, things are just going great for him. Like, have you ever felt like that? Have you ever had that happen? I mean, let's be honest, probably most of us, we have. Um, but it just doesn't happen very often. We're just kind of like looking around at your life and you're like, man, life's going really good right now. You ever felt that? We're just, no, you guys live sad lives. Okay. <laughs> We're just like, you're just like, I don't really have any complaints. Like things are going great. Things are going great at work right now. Things are going good at home. I got really good relationship with my spouse and my, and my kids, maybe better than normal. And just like, I got good friends. I got this big project done. I got this new car. I got this big bonus. Whatever it might be, we're just kind of looking around and you're like, all right, usually my life's got all these problems. Usually I have all these complaints and these things I don't like in my life. But like right now, it's like kind of good. Okay, that's how Haman feels. That's what's going on in his life. Um, I've heard the saying that, hey, if you're not in trouble right now, that means you're getting ready to go into trouble, you know. It's a part of life. But, uh, but Haman, right now, he's in good spirits. Everything is good. It says, but when Haman saw Mordecai, this Mordecai guy, Uncle Jesse, is super annoying to Haman. I mean, he's just like, he sees him and it just brings out this pride. It brings out this rage. He sees him at the king's gate and Mordecai didn't rise or tremble in fear at his presence. How dare Mordecai not tremble? It says, Haman was filled with rage toward Mordecai. He's got this pride. He is ticked off. He doesn't feel like Mordecai's given him the right respect and the right, you know, recognition that he feels like he is owed. Yet Haman controlled himself. You know, he breathed in, counted to 10 or, you know, whatever the number is, exhaled, stomped his foot. I don't know. And he controlled himself and he went home. Then he sent for his friends and his wife, Zeresh, to join him. 
And then Haman described for them his glorious wealth. So he, now he kind of goes on this tangent where he starts bragging about all his stuff. So he's like talking to him, and he's like, hey, look how wealthy I am. Look at all my money. Check out my house. This is pretty nice. Hey, I know, I know you like this. He talks about how many sons he's got. He's got, oh, I got all these kids. Like, I'm super blessed. This is great. And then he told him all about how the king had honored him and promoted him in the rank over all the other officials and the royal staff. So here he's talking about, he's saying, hey, like, you know, the king owns like 44% of earth's population and he picked me Haman to be second in command all right I'm the top of everybody then he says what's more Haman added that Queen Esther she invited no one but me have you noticed everything's about him at this point you get that all right he's talking about his wealth he's talking about his kids he's talking about his promotion now he's talking about his banquet or his dinner with the queen and king. He says, Queen Esther invited no one but me. It's all about me to join the king at the banquet that she had prepared. She's, he said, I'm even invited tomorrow, again tomorrow, to enjoy her with, or to join her with the king. He's like, Esther, can't, not even Queen Esther could get enough of Haman, right? She's all about me too. He says, uh, still, none of this satisfies me. It's interesting. I just want to point out real quick, it's just a good reminder that the world will not satisfy you. Having a bunch of stuff will not satisfy you. Having uh, children will not satisfy you. Getting that promotion, it will not satisfy you. The only thing that can satisfy you, on, you know, in your life is your relationship with your creator that you're created to have. That's it. Okay? We can chase after all this other stuff. It will not satisfy. Haman is finding that out right now. He says, still, none of this satisfies me because he's got this pride. He's got the sin in his heart. He says, uh, since I see Mordecai the Jew, that jerk, sitting at the king's gate all the time. He's always there. Whenever I go by, he's there. And he won't bow down. It's really ticking me off. It's really making me mad. Have you ever had something bother you so much that uh, you can't think about anything else? Like this, like it like controls your mind, controls your thoughts. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, oh yeah, yeah, it's out there. All right, it's like, you know, and then you start arguing with yourself, like in your mind, like usually it's like with relationships with somebody or somebody that you're upset with, somebody at work, someone at school, whatever that might be, on your team, you know, whatever. And you're just like, you know, oh man, if that person comes up to me, I'm gonna say this, and they're gonna probably say this, and I'm gonna say that to them, you know, and you start arguing with them in your head. It's not even a real argument, but it's taking up all your time, and it's just tick making you mad. Am I the only one who does that sometimes? And I'm like, shut up, <laughs> all right? That, uh, you know, we do this thing. It's like we get tunnel vision, and we can't think about all this other stuff in our life. We're so focused on this one thing. It's like we can't enjoy anything else because of this thing in our life. Whatever it might be bothers us so much. That's where Haman is. Right? He can't enjoy life because it bothers him so much that Mordecai won't bow down to him and give him the respect that he feels like Mordecai should be showing him. So as he's talking with his wife and friends and he's explaining how much he hates Mordecai, they come up with this. It says his wife Zeresh and all of his friends, they told him, they say, oh, hey man, don't be so upset. Don't, you know, calm down, man. You know, take some breaths. Here, all you have to do is have them build a gallows. Now back in the day, the Persians' gallows were a little bit different than how we view gallows. Usually we view gallows as like, you know, you got some rope, yeah, tie it around your neck. You pull it and kick out the thing underneath them, you know, and they hang there and die. Um, anyway, 
That's not what the Persians did. The Persian gallows was probably way worse, in my opinion. Um, there's gallows, the way they viewed it. You would hang, but in a different way. Uh, they would have a big pole, and on the top of the pole was like a telephone pole. Picture that. On the top of the pole was, was a point, and then they would impale you on that pole, and you would just hang there till you die. Okay? So that's what they're suggesting. They're like, hey, get one of those poles. We got the poles hanging around, you know, a pile of poles over there. Grab some of those, put them in the ground, and um, build it like a really big pole. That'll make you even more happy. That'll satisfy you. 75 feet tall. So they're like, build this pole, make it so it's like eight stories tall. And so everybody in the city can see who you impale on it. That's going to make you feel good. And then ask the king in the morning to hang Mordecai on it. That's all you got to do. And Haman's thinking about it. He's like, not a bad idea. We got poles all over the place. And he says, then you could go to the banquet with the king and you can enjoy yourself. The advice pleased Haman. So he had the gallows constructed. He's like, good idea. That's exactly what I'm going to do. And Haman probably sleeps soundly that night. You know, he's got this plan. He's already got a plan to kill Mordecai, but that can't wait. He's got to do it tomorrow. He can't wait months. He's got to get this done tomorrow because he, he's, not gonna, he's just not satisfied with life. And, and this is driving him crazy. And so he probably goes to bed sleeping soundly knowing that tomorrow his troubles are all going to be over. On, on the other side, you got King Xerxes. He's in his palace and he can't sleep that night. You ever been there? All right, where you just can't sleep. You don't know what the deal is. Like you're just awake for no reason. Super annoying. This is how I, I couldn't sleep last night for some reason. I don't know. I don't know why this is. Usually when I can't sleep, which by the way, didn't happen until Tiffin happened. So I'm blaming you guys a little bit for it on Saturday nights. Sometimes I don't know. Anyway, um, <laughs> what I do is I, uh, I'll turn on the TV in our room. I'll turn on Dances with Wolves, all right? Something really boring, you know what I'm talking about? And I know some of you guys are like, I love that movie. I know. It's long and it's boring. And it's, you know, and so I'll turn that movie on and... Um, I don't even know how that movie goes necessarily, but uh, it puts me to sleep, usually. It's a really good idea, except for last night because our internet's not working, so I didn't get to do that, so I just laid there and laid there. But anyway, the king, he can't just turn on Dances with Wolves, okay? Something's going to put him to sleep. He's laying there. He doesn't know what to do, and so he calls one of his servants. He says, hey, um, servant, come over here. I can't sleep. Um, you know how when we, I do something really cool in my in my." Um, you know, as I'm living my life as king here, you know how we write that stuff down in books? And servants like, oh, yeah, we got a whole bunch of those books. And the king's like, oh, just go, go grab one of those books and read it to me. Now, I don't know if the king's like, he wants to read about how good he is or if he's like, I know what will put me to sleep, that book, you know, of all the stuff that I've done. So anyway, the servant, he goes, he goes, grabs a book out of the king's probably massive library. He brings the book and he starts reading. And by chance, he he's, gets to the part where Mordecai, Uncle Jesse, right, saved the king's life. Now, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Remember, it was just a little blip. And I said, hey, we're going to remember this. Remember this because we'll need it in a couple weeks. I don't know, no one probably remembers that at all. Uh, but what happened was Mordecai. He's at the king's gate. That's what his job was. He actually overhears one day uh, a couple other of the king's officials talking about assassinating the king. So Mordecai goes to um, Esther. Esther goes to the king. The king makes an investigation, finds out that it's all true. And so he has them executed real quick. And so they get to this story by chance. They're like, oh, okay. Uh, the king's thinking about it. He says, he says, hey, what do we do for Mordecai for saving my life? Like, you know, 
do we do something for him? Like even like a at least a gift card or something, you know? Do we do anything? And the servant's like, uh, it doesn't say we did anything for him. And at this point, it's early in the morning. Like daylight is just starting to happen. It's early in the morning, and the king happens to see somebody walking in the courtyard. And so the king asks. It says the king asks, "Who is in the court? Who is that?" Now remember. The whole Haman's plan. It says, now Haman was just entering the outer court of the palace to ask the king to hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. Okay? What are the odds that this is all happening at once? And so it's interesting that both men have Mordecai on their minds. King Xerxes, he's trying to figure out how to honor Mordecai. And Haman, he's trying to figure out how to kill him. And so Xerxes calls Haman in in verse 6. It says, what, he asks Haman, he says, hey, Haman, question for you. What should be done for the man who the king wants to honor? Hey, he's basically saying, hey, I want to honor somebody and show respect to somebody. What should I do for this person? And Haman, he starts thinking, he's like, it's me. It's got to be me. The king's just asking this kind of roundabout way. I get what's going on here because who is it that the king would want to honor more than me? This guy, man, he's all about himself. He says, Haman told the king, he's like, hey, actually, I got, I got a couple ideas. You want to listen to them? And he's trying to come up with, like, the best thing possible because he thinks this is going to happen to him. He says, for the man that the king wants to honor, this is what you should do. He says, have them bring a royal garment that the king himself has worn and a horse that the king himself has ridden, which, by the way, has a royal crown on his head. Even the horse has got a crown on his head. And so the king's best horse, he's got his crown, the king's, um, like, robe, put that on the guy, and you put the garment and the horse under the charge of one of the king's most noble officials. Have them clothe the man the king wants to honor. That'll be great. He says, and parade him on the horse throughout the city square and call out before him. So, that, so the official has to call out before the, the horse saying, this is what is to be done for the man the king wants to honor. And so the king, he's thinking about that. He's like, did you just come up with that? Or you've been thinking about that for a while. You know, that's a pretty good idea. And he says, hey, let's do that. This is a good idea. Hurry and do just as you propose. Take a garment and a horse for Mordecai the Jew. All right, at this point, I think Haman's jaw dropped. Like, wait, what? It's not me? This is for Mordecai, who is sitting at the king's gate. Do not leave out anything you have suggested. He's like, I want you to do exactly what you said. I want you to do exactly your plan. This is a really, 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 really good idea. And so this was like the worst case scenario stuff for Haman right here. I mean, right? Like, this is like terrible. I think about it. Haman is there at the crack of dawn. He's going to ask the king to execute Mordecai. But within minutes, instead of getting permission to kill Mordecai, within minutes, it's Mordecai day in town. And he's the one that has to lead and shout throughout the whole city to that, that Mordecai is the guy who the king wants to honor. So Haman goes, because he's got no choice. He has to. And so he parades Mordecai around the city on the king's horse. He probably wants to throw up the entire time. This is making him sick. And after a long day of honoring Mordecai, Haman goes home. And he tells his wife, he's like, man, you will not believe what happened to me today. Remember that pole we got in our front yard right there? I was supposed to hang Mordecai. You notice he's not on there. All right, he's actually on the king's horse. I had to go around and parade him, and he's complaining to his wife. And his wife's just like, uh-oh, this is like God stuff happening. Like, what are the odds? This is, this is crazy. This is what happened. She's like, this is not going to be good. And at that moment, the king's servants, they come and get Haman for Esther's dinner, round two. It says, the king and Haman, they came to feast with Esther the queen. 
And once again, on the second day, while drinking wine, the king asked Esther, he's like, Esther, honey, dear, what's this all about? What, what's going on here? What are you doing? Whatever you ask, it will be given to you. Whatever you seek, even after half the kingdom, it will be done. He's saying, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to do whatever you want me to do, you know, whatever that is. And so at this moment, she's probably super nervous, right? I mean, she doesn't know how this is going to go. Again, she's telling him she made a dumb decision. And so she tells him in verse 3, next verse, says, as Queen Esther answers, she says, okay. If I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if the king plea is pleased, all I ask is that you spare my life. All I ask is that I don't die. Please don't have them kill me. This is my request. And if you would, spare my people. This is my desire. This is for my people and I have been sold to destruction, death, and annihilation. She says, if, I have, if we have merely been sold as male or female slaves, I would have kept silent. But indeed, the trouble wouldn't be worth burdening, 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 I don't know how to say that word, the king. This is funny to me at this point. You know, here's Esther. She's like, okay, here, this is my request because this is the third time the king's been asking her. And on the round three, she's going, okay, all I ask is that I don't get murdered. Can you help me out with that? And then she says, and this is funny, cracks me up. She's like, if we just have been sold as slaves, if I had just been sold as a slave, I wouldn't have bothered you because I know you're a really busy guy and, you know, you got a lot of things going on and, and my discomfort is not enough that I, should, that I should bring this up to you or bother you with this. But since I'm going to be killed, you know, and I'm the queen, that probably shouldn't happen because someday you're going to be asking, hey, bring in Queen Esther. And they're going to be like, oh, we killed her. You know, and so that's probably not good. Someone's going to lose their job over that one. And so I figured this might be worth bringing up to you. And now we know at this point that, that Haman, he doesn't know Esther's Jewish. Right? He didn't know that. He didn't know Esther and Mordecai were related. And so here, you know, is Esther saying, hey, someone's planning on killing me and all my people. And Haman's, I mean, he might be sitting there going, wow, that's crazy. What an idiot. You know, who's this guy? I didn't know there were crazy murderers out there trying to eliminate an entire race. All right, I got my reason, but what's this guy's reason? What an idiot. Who's trying to kill the queen's people? Like, that's like a death sentence. You should, you know, out of all the people, not the queen's people. Come on. And King Xerxes, as he's listening to this, he's just like, Esther, who would do this? You know, is this actually happening? What's going on here? And Esther's like, actually, it's that guy, Haman. It's him. And when King Xerxes realizes he is so mad, he actually leaves the room. He has to go outside to think. It's like he needs to get out of there. He has to get some air. And he's kind of, he's like he's trying to process what he's just been told. And think about it. I mean, King Xerxes, he liked Haman. They're probably like best friends. He promoted Haman. But Xerxes is so angry. He's angry at Haman for using him, I'm sure. But I'm sure he's also angry at himself for falling for it, for not paying attention, for not caring. I mean, think about it. Haman got the king to condemn his own queen without knowing it. In the meantime, Haman, he stays back with Queen Esther, to beg Esther for his life, saying, hey, please don't let him kill me. Please, please, please don't let him kill me. And Esther, she's kind of sitting on this couch, and the king, or, and, and Haman, he's kind of, he kind of 
jumps on her a little bit to like beg her. And right at that moment, King Xerxes walks in and this is what he says. He says, would he actually violate the queen while I'm in the house? Now that's not what Haman was doing. It probably didn't look good as he's begging. The queen is kind of on top of her. He's like, are you seriously gonna violate her while I'm right outside this door? You kidding me right now? He said, as soon as the statement left the king's mouth, the servants came in, they covered Haman's face, put the black bag over his head. It's the last daylight that Haman ever sees. This is like death sentence stuff right here. It's game over <clears throat> for Haman. While this is happening, one of the king's servants, he looks out the window or something, and he says, hey, actually, may I make a suggestion, your majesty? Uh, Haman actually just put up a big pole to hang Mordecai. Remember the guy who saved your life? And he was going to execute Mordecai on that pole today. How about we just throw Haman on that pole instead? I mean, this guy, in my opinion, I don't know what this guy's doing exactly, but this guy's probably trying to get a job. You know people like that who, like, make use of the, oh, there's an opportunity here. He's going to be looking for another second in command. I have an idea. I can help you get rid of this guy. All right, you know people like that. There's people like that all over there. A lot of you guys are probably people like that. Um, <laughs> When I was in, I was a pastor in Fremont, the Fremont campus for 10 years. When I was there, uh, or when I moved here, moved my office here, um, I kind of had two offices for a while, but it was the moment I moved my desk here, like that changed everything. The, the pastors in Fremont pounced on all my stuff. It was interesting. I'd go walk into my office at Fremont, my couch would be gone. I'd walk in to my office on Fremont another day, and the, the bookshelves would be gone. Um, one day, all my stuff wasn't even in my office anymore. Somebody else had moved in there, and my stuff was in another room. And then one day, I was even trying to turn on one of my lamps. The light bulb was gone. Right? People are scavengers, man. They're vultures. That's how I view this guy. This guy's like, opportunity? I'm moving in. This is going to be really good for me. And so King Xerxes, he hears this. He's like, hey, great idea. Let's make that happen. And Haman is impaled on the pole that he had constructed the day before. In the meantime, Xerxes gives Mordecai Haman's job, the guy who saved his life. And then he gives all of Haman's stuff, the stuff that Haman was just bragging about the day before, to Esther. And you would think this would be the end, right? It's a great ending point. But... The Jews and Esther and Mordecai, they still have a big problem because the law still stands. And the thing that's going to happen, you know, this day is still going to happen. So Esther goes before the king later that day and she begs him. She says, please, please, please take the law away. Make it so that the Jews won't be attacked on that day. And King Xerxes, remember, he reminds her. He says, hey, I can't do anything about it. Because Persian law states that once a king signs a law, it's law. And not even the king can take it back. He's like, there's nothing I can do. But if you and Mordecai can come up with a better idea, if you can, you know, feel free. He gives his ring that Haman had for a while and he gives it to Mordecai. He says, you guys come up with a law that you think would help combat the law that was already written. Sounds like a politician, right? And I just make up a new law. More rules is what we need. Just, never mind. Okay. <laughs> so that's what he does. And uh, Mordecai and Esther, they get to work. And they create a new law that gave the Jews permission to defend themselves, something that they didn't have with the original law. And they sent this new law out, and they waited for the big day. Esther 9, verse 1 says, The king's command and law, they went into effect on the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar. And on the day when the Jews' enemies had hoped to overpower them, so the day is here, just the opposite happened. All right, think about it. The opposite happened. The Jews overpowered those who hated them. 
And in each of the king Xerxes provinces, the Jews assembled in their cities to attack those who intended to harm them, and not a single person could withstand them, and fear of them fell on every nationality. All of the officials of the provinces, the satraps, the governors, the royal civil administrators, aided the Jews because they feared Mordecai. So everybody, even all the, the political people are like, whoa, 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 the king is on the Jew side? I'm on the Jew side. Mordecai, my boss, he's a Jew, I'm a Jew. Right? Queen Esther, she's a Jew, I'm not messing with the Jews. And so they, they helped him out. And for Mordecai had exercised great power in the palace and his fame spread throughout the provinces as he became more and more powerful. And we find out in the Bible, the Bible tells us that on that day, within the city of Susa, so where everybody's living, where kind of all this is taking place, 800 men are killed by Jewish people who are there defending themselves, okay, who, who attack them, including Haman's sons. And then we find out within the empire that 75,000 people attacked the Jewish people within the empire, and they were killed. And after that, and that's a lot of people, after that, the Bible says the Jews rested. Think about it. They probably hadn't rested for like 11 months ever since that first law went into effect. They didn't know if their kids were going to get murdered. They didn't know if their husbands and wives were going to get murdered. They didn't know if their parents were going to get murdered or their friends. They didn't know what was going to happen, and they rested. Then Mordecai, he institutes a holiday for the Jewish people called Purim, and uh, it's actually been celebrated every year since Esther. Purim, it's, uh, it's still celebrated today. Jewish people still celebrate it. It's really kind of a mixture of Christmas and Halloween. Um, it's you give gifts at Purim to your family members and stuff, and then there's a lot of food, but you also wear costumes, and so you kind of got to make sure there. And it's this idea that they are celebrating that God showed up and saved them. And it's interesting that even Jesus probably celebrated Purim. One time, Jesus, he went to, a, a, to Jerusalem for a festival, and many scholars believe uh, that, uh, that this was Purim that he was there for. And he's there on the Sabbath day, which is supposed to be the day of rest. And the religious leaders of that day, they always had a bunch of rules so they wouldn't come close to breaking God's rules. So it was just rules, 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 rules. And uh, Jesus is there, and he sees a guy who can't walk, and he heals him. Well, the religious leaders don't like that because they're like, hey, technically you healed that guy, and technically I think that could be counted as work, and you're not allowed to work, and so uh, you broke our law, you broke our rule. And so Jesus, and he's standing there kind of before these religious leaders. These are the religious leaders saying this stuff. He tells them in John 5, verse 17, he says, you don't understand. My father is still working, and I am working also. He's like, hey, here's the deal. I'm always working. I don't take a rest. I don't, I don't stop for a few days. Or I, don't, I don't do that. He's saying, hey, I'm always working. I'm always working behind the scenes. And it's really the same thing that we realize in this story. God isn't mentioned in the whole book of Esther. But we see clearly that he's working. We see how he's kind of making all this happen. I mean, think about it. We're looking at the story. God has the whole system rigged. It's all rigged. I mean, think about all the coincidences here. Right? It just so happens that Queen Vashti, the first king, right at the beginning, that she upsets her husband. It just so happens that King Xerxes banishes her for life. It just so happens that the king's servants come up with this idea for a contest to replace Queen Vashti. It just so happens that Esther is gorgeous. It just so happens that, that a foreign Jewish orphan girl wins the contest and actually becomes queen of the Persian Empire. It just so happens that Mer Mordecai one day overhears some guys planning to assassinate king, the king Xerxes. And, and it just so happens that Mordecai is Esther. 
Esther's cousin so he can report it to her. And it just so happens that the king's life is saved. And it just so happens that the king forgot to reward Mordecai. It just so happens that someone thought, hey, we should probably write this down in a book in case somebody wants to read it someday. It just so happens that the king is pleased to see Esther when she risks her life to see him. It just so happens that the king's schedule is free. And so Esther, and so he's able to go to Esther's house for dinner, not once, but twice. It just so happens that Haman constructs a huge pole in his yard to hang Mordecai on. And it just so happens that the night before Mordecai is to be hanged, the king can't sleep. It just so happens that the guy who goes to get the king's bedtime story out of the books in his library happens to pick the one book that has the story of Mordecai saving the king written down. It just so happens that the king realizes that he forgot to reward Mordecai. It just so happens that the, in the morning that Haman happened to be there bright and early to see the king. It just so happens that at dinner, the king walks in at the exact moment that Haman is falling down on top of Esther. It just so happens that the king's servants come up with the idea to hang Mordecai on the pole that he, or hang Haman on the pole that he actually built. It just so happens that when the Jewish people get attacked, that they fight back and they defeat their enemies. And the exact opposite of what Haman wanted to happen, happened. See, God is in the details. He's constantly saving his people just like God is in the details of our life as well. God's always working. He's not taking a day off. It's interesting because a few verses later, Jesus says to the religious leaders, he says, hey, you pour over the scriptures because you think that you have eternal life in them, and yet they testify about me. He's telling them, he's saying, hey, every story that you read in the Bible, like these guys, they had parts of the Bible memorized, okay? So they know their stuff. He's saying, hey, Genesis, Exodus, Daniel, you know, um, Esther. He says, Jesus is saying, it's all points to me. It's all about me, the story of the Jewish people in the Old Testament, how God saved the world through a broken nation, a nation that's not perfect, a nation that made major mistakes. He's saying, and even though you know your Bibles and you read your Bibles and you celebrate your holidays, remember Purim, he's saying, man, you're religious leaders and you miss it. You miss it. That's my challenge to you today. Don't miss it. See, some of you guys, man, you need to accept Jesus as your Savior in your life because you've never come to the point in your life where you've actually given God kind of control of your life and just kind of given God or given your life over to Him. And I'm just saying, God came down and He died for you. And there's nothing that you could possibly do to impress God. God doesn't look at your good stuff and say, wow, you're pretty good. Man, I'm pretty impressed by that. He doesn't do that. We can't be good enough. And so the only way we had a chance to have a relationship with God the way that we were created to is because Jesus came down 2,000 years and died for us. It's the only way. So you need to give your life over to him, and there's no better day to do that than today. But for the rest of us, we need to remember that God is in control of our lives, right? We need to remember that God's got the whole system rigged. He's working. He doesn't stop. Yeah, we might not be able to see it in the moment, and we might be questioning, like, I don't know what God's doing. God, you know what's going on down here, all right? But, uh, but it's happening, and he is using it. And he even uses our dumb decisions and our, and our mistakes as well to work it into his plan. See, we as a church family, we have so much, here, so much to do here in Tiffin, and not just Tiffin, but Seneca County, and we have a plan for the next three years, and it's exciting. And we're going to start, again, sharing that next Sunday. But in order to, like, prepare ourselves for that, what I'd like to do is I'd like all of us 
to really ask ourselves just a couple questions this week. And that's, what can I do to help those around me find Jesus? What can I do? How can I do better at reaching those people around us? And, and pick out people in your, around you, in your community, your family, your friends, you know, people you work with, whatever, and be like, how can I reach that person? And I want you to do this. I want you to ask that question really with the story in mind, questioning where God may have placed you on purpose. Where has God purposely placed you for a time like this? And then I also want you to ask, what can I do to help my church family reach our community? What can we do as a team? What's my part? So for the next three years, it's going to be like all hands on deck. Again, I'm excited. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. I have my doubts whether we can actually accomplish this, but we also know that God is on our side and he's here. And it really starts tonight at the big event. And so we're going to spend some time with each other. We're going to have some fun. Um, We're going to do this before we begin this three-year journey together as a church family, as a team. It's going to require a lot of work, a lot of sacrifice. So it's an exciting time in our church. But prepare yourself with Esther's story in mind about what you can do to be a part of what God's doing here in our county. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this story. And um, God, we ask that you would help us understand and help us recognize where you've placed us on purpose. Because like we said last week, you don't place us in purposeless, meaningless places. You have a plan, and it's not random, and you're always working. And God, we might not be able to always see how you're working, but we know that you're there, and God, we thank you for that. We know that your plan is always, always, always better than our plan. And God, we ask us as a church that we be able to come together over the next four weeks and over really the next three years, and that we'd accomplish some of the goals that we're going to set for ourselves. And that we'd reach the people in our community and in our families and our friends, at our jobs, for you. God, we need your help. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.